This morning, um, we have a, someone who will be a guest to you, but not a guest to me. My good friend Dave Runyon is going to teach this morning. Dave, if you want to come up here. I've, uh, I've known Dave for at least 20 years. He was a youth pastor, and I was a youth pastor, and we used to get our groups together. Remember that? Yep. And uh, he and I used to always talk about John 17, 21, where Jesus prayed that the Lord's, his disciples would be one and walk in unity as, as the Father and Son are one. And that was kind of always on, on our hearts. And um, you ran with that and wrote a book and all kinds of great things that came from learning how to love your neighbor and walk in unities. Got a great ministry called City Unite where he brings churches together to collaborate together, be on the same page. And just really have a ton of respect for you and what you do and who you are in the body of Christ and your leadership and your friendship to me has been good as a pastor because you know what that feels like to be a pastor. And, and so he's always ministering to pastors as well because there's a, a unique stress that's there. But one funny memory, I was thinking about this. <clears throat> Many of you know Ryan and Lauren Graves, uh, part of our church family. Ryan's my nephew. And so when he was in the eighth grade, playing baseball for Faith Christian Middle School, Dave was his coach. And I was a a youth pastor, so youth pastors have to make a little side money sometimes. You have to figure things. So I was an umpire, and I was umpiring that particular game, and Ryan, my nephew, hits a ball over the fence, and I had to determine whether that was fair or foul. What do you think I did? You did not get it right. I did (laughs) not. I will tell you that. Dave got on my back. My family was all there. Ryan's dad, they're all yelling at me because I called a foul ball. And I was like, oops, that, not no nepotism anywhere around here. So anyway, good memory, good stuff, Dave. Thanks for, uh, thanks for serving us this morning. Yeah. Appreciate it. Well, thank you, um, Scott. I am, I'm really grateful for our friendship. So, and I still remember, I remember I was driving. I remember when you and I were first talking about Novation and you were sharing what was on your heart. And um, I can't remember where I was driving to, but I was in my car, we were talking on the phone, and I just remember you saying, you know, David, I'm not trying to build this next, you know, big laser show thing. And, you, and then you started to share what was, what was in your heart about building a community in a, in a family of people. And I remember, like, what struck me is how well you knew your own gifts. Um, this is one of my favorite things about Scott. Scott, like, knows who he is. And I think we need more people like that in this world, and so I'm really grateful to you. And this is, you know, this was a dream then, <laughs> you know, we were talking. It's like, it's cool to, like, come and to sit in this room and to go, it happened. Yeah. yeah. So, thank, so you, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Go get them. Yeah, we got to do fist bump. I know. No, no, yes. <laughs> so, well, good morning, uh, Novation. It is good to be back with you. I was here, it had to have been... Probably six year, five or six years ago was the last time that I was here and shared some of my story. And so, who remembers this? Anybody have this? Who still has this on their fridge? That's what I want to know. Really? Wow. That's encouraging. Um, so I need a new sermon then. If you guys, that many of you are, this is awkward. I really only have one sermon. I've been doing it for 10, I've been doing it for like 10 years. Um, so I'm just going to go back to it. Most of you probably don't remember it. Um, so no, Scott, 
reached out to me, and we just happened to be talking about some other things, Rockies, and um, I'm kind of like his grief counselor. Uh, as <laughs> it's like an addiction. It's like having a friend who's an addict, and you're just like checking on him every once in a while. You're like, hey, you're still doing that thing where you make yourself crazy, right? And they're like, yeah. Um, and so we called, and we were talking about the Rockies, and he, uh, he actually asked me to teach, and I couldn't do that that day, but he, and he said, hey, we're, we're going to be in Luke 10 soon, and Luke 10 is my favorite chapter. It's my favorite section of the entire Bible. And so I am excited to be able to walk through that with you today. If you have a Bible, you can open up uh, to Luke 10. And my hope, my prayer would be that maybe this is just kind of like a little quick overview, but that each of you takes some time today or this week to just read through this chapter and to just say, God, what do you want to say to me? What do you, what do you want to say to me through... Uh, this series of stories that's found uh, in this section. And I think this is one of the things that I've noticed uh, through COVID. I get to spend time with a lot of pastors. And one, now this isn't true of Novation, okay, but at a lot of churches, um, a lot of pastors have looked at me and said, Dave, what I've realized from this is that, you know, we took a break from meeting in person and we did this. What I realized is that we have not equipped our people well enough to feed themselves. Like we, we haven't, what we're doing isn't actually helping people to learn how to dive in and to read through a text and just to say simply, God, what do you want to say to me? And, and so I hope that maybe that's what we do here today, that we just kind of get a few glimpses into this, maybe it piques your interest, and that um, launches you into a place where you can study this section on your own. So the start of this chapter um, is incredible. It's the story of where G- Jesus sends out the 72. So 72 people that are not the 12 disciples. I want you to imagine you're one of those um, 72 people. How many of you have ever been in a position where you just feel like, I'm way over my head here when it comes to ministry? Like, I don't, act, like, I don't know how I got here. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm having some conversation. Like, you've had that feeling? Okay, like, I've had that feeling a lot, like a ton. I've had this feeling like, where, how did I end up in this room? God, are you sure that I should actually be doing this? And what I want to tell you, what I see is, through Jesus is this pattern of where he's continually just throwing people into ministry way over their head. And, and, then, he pro, and then he debriefs. He processes with them afterwards. And so if you've ever felt like that, I just want to say, wait, if you've never felt like that, then I want to encourage you to like kind of maybe stretch yourself to risk a little bit more, because I think this is one of the things that Jesus encourages us to do. So he sends these 72 out. He says, I want you to go into the town, and I want you to prepare the way. I want you to actually go and do ministry. I want you to pray with people. I want you to teach. I want you to perform miracles. Okay? And these are people who have been with him for less than two years. And they're not even the 12 disciples that are on the periphery. And he encourages them. He says, I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest. I want you to pray for others to come alongside of you. And I love, I love that part. But we're going to camp out in the second half of this chapter um, for the good part of our morning. So I, I want, but I would encourage you to read that first half and to see if there's anything in there that God wants to say to you. Um, halfway through the chapter, we come to Luke 10. Um, and we're going to pick it up in verse 25. And I'll just going to do this as a little bit of review of what we talked about last time, and then we're going to jump into some new stuff. Uh, Luke 10, 25, it starts, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? Jesus does this a few times throughout the gospel. Somebody comes and asks a question, he knows there's something bigger going on, and so he looks at this guy, he goes, oh, why don't you answer your own question? 
He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He gives the perfect textbook answer. Jesus says, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Think about that. This guy boils the entire, what's the most important commandment? How do I inherit? He boils the entire text down into love God with everything you have and love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus looks at him and says, do this and you will live. Do this and the kingdom will come. You, you will experience the kind of life that, that I hope that I have in store for you. But here's what happens in verse 29. This guy who's given the perfect answer It says this about him. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself. He saw that the entire law was broken down into these very concrete, clear commands, and his first thought is, how do I get out of this? Okay? How do I get out? I've got to find a loophole. And he's like, Jesus, like neighbor, what does that really mean? Like, like, maybe we can just kind of play with the definition of neighbor and, and just get a little less clarity here. Let's make it a little less concrete. And Jesus just blows him up. He just goes, all right, we're going to... And he just dives into the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, keep the, this guy is looking for a way out, but he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And, and Jesus dives into this incredible story of the Good Samaritan. And he does, he, he's, now he's assuming that this guy is neighboring with the people of the same culture and customs. And so what he does is he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. He says, no matter where you are, when you care for the person in front of you, you're loving your neighbor. No matter where you are or no matter who that person is. It's this profound, amazing story. And as I shared last time, what I came face to face with in my own life is that I had been like this guy. I had figured out a loophole to get around. I, I had done the, like, Jesus, like, neighbor, what, what does that really mean? Who, who are we really talking about here? I had subconsciously done that in my own life as a pastor. And I had taken this idea of loving God with everything you have, heart, mind, soul, strength, and loving your neighbor and I had, figured, I had figured out a way to live as somebody who had been in ministry, as a pastor, so that when Jesus said to love your neighbor, he wasn't actually talking about our literal neighbors. He was talking about like our metaphoric neighbors. You know, as somebody who had been in ministry, I just kind of, you know, I'm doing a lot of good things all the time. I'm kind of just loving my neighbor. And, and I was able to take it away from the concrete into this kind of metaphor. I ended up with this really powerful metaphoric love for my metaphoric neighbors. And metaphorically, I was just like killing it. <laughs> and in real life, there were people who were sleeping like 50, 60, 70 feet away from me, and I didn't even know their names. And through this story that happened with our mayor in Arvada and um, a group of pastors, we decided we're going to go back to the basics. We're going to go back to kindergarten, and, and we're going to actually just think about who are the people that got his place closest around us and begin to kind of draw a circle where we were and work out from there. And just doing that changed my entire life. And so last time I was here, we did this. So if you've never seen this, I've got great news for you. Okay, or bad news from you, because some of the people in this room will call this the chart of shame. 
Okay, this is not the chart of shame. Okay, this is called the block map. But the block map, and we're going to do a little quiz. So this is an update five years ago. Quiz for those of you that know what this is. A test for those of you that don't. Okay, you walk out your front door right now, your apartment, your condo, your home, wherever it is. I want you to just imagine the eight closest people to you, the eight closest households or units. You got it? Now, how many of their names do you know? How many of them could you write down right now? Okay, we're just going to start thinking through that right now. Go ahead, you can talk. How many of the names, there we go. Now, what happened to me when I first did this little exercise, my friend Jay, uh, who's also uh, a friend of Scott's and a pastor in town, uh, my friend Jay did this little exercise with all of us as pastors, and I realized I had met all of these people but I, could on, like, I had only retained the names of, of in couples in like three of the eight houses. And that was a highly convicting moment for me because what I realized is that in order to love somebody, it's really helpful if we know their first name. <laughs> right? So, so that if, by the way, if you don't have one of these, grab one on the way out today, stick it on your fridge... And I would just ask you, I'm not going to ask you, I'm not going to challenge you to like love your neighbor. Okay, that's crazy Jesus, radical stuff. <laughs> what I would like to ask today is would you just be willing to learn and retain and use their names when you see them? Would you just be willing to do that? Because, and it's a Trojan horse, by the way, because what I know is this, if you will take that first step, if you will have that awkward conversation with like, hey, I've lived next to you for four years, I've met you, seven different times, and I forgot your name. If, you, if you're willing to have that mildly awkward moment with some of the people that live, you, if you just, like so much of momentum is just getting going. And, and so if you'll just start taking that step, you'll be surprised that some of your neighbors, organically, things will start to happen as a result. And the kingdom will break out. One of the great learnings for me in all of this is that if you actually start to like, think about proximity, if you get a theology of place, which is all is just soaked throughout the Old and the New Testament, if you begin to get a theology of place, you're going to guarantee yourself that you're going to be hanging out with people who think about the world a lot differently than you do. It's, this is the antidote to the Christian bubble. And by the way, I don't know if you've checked out what's going on in our world, our country, and our culture. Okay? I believe that the answer... The, the, the healing force to the polarization that exists is when people start to actually become connected to people who think about the world totally differently than they do. And this, by the way, is what threw me in the ministry way over my head. Like when I started to go out there and engage with the people that lived right around me, I started, now some of my, some of my neighbors actually don't want to be my friends. They're like super busy. And they live a lot like what I used to. They come home from their little kids' activities and they get their garage door up and then it goes down and then they'll bring their garage door back up and they'll go out and like drive to the different sporting stuff and grab fast food on the way home and come back home, the garage door goes up and it goes back down and they detox from their day and then they wake up and do it the next day. And so I've learned I don't need to stalk my neighbors that don't want to be my... I can tell. They're like, oh, cool, I gave you my name. That's where I want it to end. Um, don't stalk those people, but here's the deal. There are others that live around you. There are others that live around you, I promise you, that are dying for something more. That would love to have something that goes just a little bit below the surface. 
And, and what does it look like for us as people of faith, as Jesus people, when we're the kind of people that are able to just begin to connect with people below the surface, to say, hey, like your kids are a little bit older than mine. What, what do you wish? Is there anything you wish you would have known like when your kids were my age? Hey, like how's COVID impacted your work life? What, what's going on there? Like just becoming the types of people that live a little bit below the surface is what it means to lean into the kingdom. And so I wanted to just encourage you to do that. So that's this. If you don't have one, put it on your fridge. Use it as a little tool. What happened in my life is that I started to fill in some of these blanks. I started to have a series of mildly awkward conversations. I could have looked it up online. I could have gone to their mailbox where they weren't home and like looked at their name. That, that's actually illegal. Uh, don't do that. So... But there's some, let me just say something. There's all kinds of ways, you see, but there's something about a face-to-face interaction. There's something about connecting with someone. And so I, I just want to encourage you to consider that and to think about doing that. And then I want to share this with you, um, because I think this, this is the number one thing. As I start to share about this, there's probably a lot of thoughts going through your head. Number one, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, you know what? Um, are, you, are you saying that the other stuff I'm doing isn't loving your neighbor, the, the people at work? stuff down at the rescue mission, the stuff that happens overseas. I want to be very, very clear. Clearly, in Jesus' economy, all of that is loving your neighbor. But I also want to say this. All of that doesn't sprinkle magic fairy dust over our neighborhoods, and all of a sudden, Jesus wasn't talking about our actual neighbors as well. Okay? So I figured out a way, as a pastor, I got so busy and involved in so many different things and serving on this different nonprofit board or that meeting or this meeting that I filled my life up with all of these things where I didn't have time to think about and to engage with the people that were right around me, and I was missing it. I was missing this gift that, that was just sitting there. And I think time is the issue. I think, I think the, the way that we live, I think margin is the biggest obstacle It's the reason why we as believers aren't known as the best neighbors in town. Like, we should be differentiated from people who don't have faith in the way we treat our actual neighbors if the major tenet of our entire faith is love God with everything you have and love your neighbors yourself. But here's the deal, we're not. Like, when I go and talk to our police chief or the city manager or whoever, and I go, hey, like, can you see a drastic, noticeable difference in the way Christians and non-Christians treat their neighbors? Do you know what the answer is? No. I would love to change that. I would love to change that personally. I'd love to see us as believers change that. And and the thing I think that we have to address is the issue of time. And I think it's fascinating that in Luke chapter 10, okay, we have this incredible moment, okay? And and the guy looks at Jesus, asks the question, Jesus rolls into the story of the Good Samaritan. And he's in the story of the Good Samaritan, is talking about, hey, what's the main thing? In the next story, this is the, the story that, that caps off this chapter, is the story of Mary and Martha. And the story of Mary and Martha is fascinating on a number of levels, but I think it makes it even more interesting when we put it into context and we realize he's just answered, what is the main thing? What must I do to inherit eternal life? The, the entire Bible has just been boiled down into, if you only do one thing, do this. And then we go right into the story of Mary and Martha. I do not think this is a coincidence, um, by the way. So the story uh, of Mary and Martha, let me pick it up here. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. 
She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. He tells right after the story, and that we're talking about loving your neighbor, loving God with everything you have, he tells the story of Mary and Martha. The story of Mary and Martha is fascinating because it's about margin. It's about getting distracted. It's about getting busy. The, the key phrase that describes Martha is this. She was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Martha's busyness causes her to miss out on this opportunity to actually be present with Jesus. And at first glance, it looks like Martha gets it, right? Martha is like getting after it. She's like, let's, let's prepare this thing. Let's get ready. Let's actually take this moment seriously. But when we take a closer look, we learn Martha has become distracted. She's rushed. She's hurried. She wants to get everything done, and then she misses the main thing. One of the things I, uh, I consider it to be a great honor um, in being a pastor or a former pastor or whatever, whatever it is that I do now um, is that I get, I get invited to do weddings. We were just talking about it. Is it Adam's wedding that's coming up? Um, so let me just say, you, getting ready to get married? you guys are getting ready to get married? Okay, I have a word of wisdom for you. Here's what I've seen in almost every wedding I've ever done. Okay, is everyone gets out the checklist and all of the different boxes and everything that it takes to pull off a wedding, right? And, and, and everyone has great intentions. But we get so engrossed in the preparation that then we go and we do the wedding, and inevitably I go back and I'm sitting there with the couple and at least 50% of the time, one of the couple will look at me and go, was that it? It just seems like a blur. And my heart just sinks because I realize how much money and time has been poured into this event and to realize, oh no, you you missed it. You weren't present in this thing that you just spent all that money on. So hey, don't do that, okay? Like, just don't do that. And, and like, this is what happens. This is what happens right here to Martha. She gets so consumed with getting ready for this thing that she's missing the main thing. And, and Jesus is saying, don't fall into that trap. And don't fall into that trap with your wedding. That's a big deal. But actually being with Jesus, being present, that's, a, that's the deal. So Martha is, is thinking, you know, I, I've got to do this. This is what... The role at this point in, in this culture is a, a woman's worth is tied to how well she's going to go and prepare for this and, and to get this done. Now, it's fascinating, it should haunt us, that Martha gets reprimanded for serving Jesus. Let me, let's let that sink in for a second here. Okay? She's not binge-watching Netflix. Okay? <laughs> She's literally serving Jesus. I think, I, like, let's let that sit. It's possible for us to miss the main thing because we're out there serving. These are, it's possible to miss the main thing because you're getting consumed with a good thing. And I, I think when it comes to us learning how to be present with others, to be engaged in the life of our neighborhood and what's happening in our places of work, I think it's really easy 
Like one of the things that I had to do when I got confronted with the fact that I wasn't engaged at all with what God was doing right around my home was I, did, I actually just stepped off the board of three nonprofits. I was sitting around, I was going to all these, and guess what? All of them did just fine without me. It was incredible. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to be on the board of a nonprofit. I'm just saying, for me at that time, it was. I just filled up my life with so many different things. And, and so I want to encourage you, as you start to think about, how do people experience you? Do, do people experience you as somebody who is interruptible, who is accessible? Are you living at a pace in which it actually looks different than the world? Because I actually think this is one of our best apologetics today. I think we're living in a world, we're living in a culture where people are just running around going from one thing to the next to the next. And they're saying, well, everybody just kind of lives like this. Or, you know, just, I just got to get through this one really hard month, and then the next month it's going to be totally better. Okay? And then your spouse starts laughing openly at you when you say that. That's a red flag, by the way. Um, but people, I, I think people in our culture are sick of living like this with like just the tyranny of the urgent. And Jesus says, hey, by the way, there's a different way to live. Jesus models it for us over and over. He's saying there's a different way to live. And so I think as we, as Jesus people, lean into that, I think it's one of the best things we can do to make life with God attractive to others, to model. But here's the actual deal. Like we, we would have to actually be doing that ourselves. We would have to actually go, yeah, I'm going to live a life like that. I'm going to, like, when Jesus is on, like, when Jesus is working, he's working. And here's a radical thought. When he's not working, he's not. Okay? Like, what, what would it look like for us to do that as well? And how attractive could that be to others? And, and what I'm learning in the life of my own neighborhood, in, in the life of my own family is that like sometimes like that that little computer that we all carry around sometimes it's just life-giving you be able to set that to the side and like walk out and just be in your front yard or in the courtyard of your apartment complex or wherever it might be and then to just see what happens to just create enough margin to just see what happens over and over and over again over the last 10 years and um my, my buddy and I wrote this book around neighboring, and so I've spent a lot of time just thinking about this and living it out and going around and sharing it with others. What, what I have learned is that like what we do in our front yard, it counts. It counts. And, and if we're actually present, if we're actually accessible, time after time after time, I've seen this in my own life and the life of others, the kingdom starts to break out. And, and I, I've seen this in spades over this last year, right? We've been at a time where we've had less interactions with people um, at work or at school, and for a while it was church, but more and more and more over this last year, the people I saw more were the people out walking, invisible, right around us. And I, th- I think God's given us just this incredible reminder, this gift of saying, like, hey, where you are, that matters. And, and, I, and he wants us to have our eyes open to those people that are walking by on the sidewalk that you see every once in a while, that, that couple that you've said for a year or two or three, like, hey, we should, like, we should like, get together and do dinner. Like, what if you actually got together and did dinner? <laughs> like, and I think what I would just like to invite you to do is, whatever it is in your life, just to take the next small step. To just take the next small step, to just say, okay, 
Um, and, and by the way, to take this next small step, you're going to have to like, make time for it. You're going to have to prioritize. You're going to have to learn from the Mary and Martha story. But I don't know where you're at. Um, maybe for you, for a lot of you in this room, maybe it's like, you know what? There's somebody specific. Like, I know I'm supposed to go and engage them and like, admit that I don't know their name. Or they moved into the neighborhood recently and just meet them for the first time. Maybe that's your next small step. I don't know what. Maybe it's something else. Maybe as I'm up here talking about this idea of loving your actual neighbor, maybe there's somebody that's already come to mind. And so how I want to end our time today is just by giving us a moment and all the craziness that we're doing, just to get really quiet. And to spend 30, 45 seconds just still, um, just with God, and, and to just say this like really dangerous prayer, which goes like this. God, what's the next small step that you want me to take with one of my neighbors? You know, what's that next small step? So I'm going to pray for us. And, uh, and my prayer is that God would just put somebody, there's just maybe a thought comes into your head, somebody, a name, and see a face. So God, we just come before you right now. And Father, our, our prayer is this. What's the next small step that you want me to take with one of the people that lives nearby? Amen. How many of you, like somebody, come on up, Scott, let's hang out together. Um, how many of you had somebody, like a specific like person came to mind for you, like, like you'd like see it? Yeah, well, who was it for you? Not to put you on the spot. Adam? Yeah. Yeah. watching this live stream. Um, <laughs> that's going to make your job a lot harder. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, every time I say, every time I pray or like I lead, and this, this is like, this is like the most basic way to just kind of like, you know, come before God and just try to, you know, do, do spiritual formation and just listening. But every time I do this, and even today, like I, yesterday I was driving through my neighborhood, and a neighbor that I haven't spent a lot of time with, but we used to in the past, was just out in front and just looked at me and was like, hey, like, come on, like, can we, let's just do a bike ride right now. 
and I my daughter had a soccer game, and uh, and so I told him like I can't. I've got this soccer game here, but like it just like it just dawned on me like something something sacred was happening there, and I need to follow up. I need to like just circle back and go. Okay, hey, we couldn't do it. Be really easy to just go. Couldn't make it happen, and just kind of go on. But the, like, it, I just felt like God was just saying, "Hey, like you need to go back to that and just follow up and, and try to connect." So, I, I'll just tell you this: like, I'm drinking all the Kool-Aid on this stuff because it's just wrecked my own life um, in such a great way. Uh, and it's, it's hard, and it's messy, and it's powerful. And I actually think it's the best way to live. And it's made me slow down. Like, I'm not good at this stuff. Like, I, I can get in those places where I just take on too much and get overextended. But this discipline of being, like, and, and just having, like, a theology of place and, like, really believing that when Jesus said to love our neighbor, that he meant our actual neighbors too. This discipline of doing this has just helped me slow down. It's helped me, like, just be the type of person who can walk away from a phone or who can take walks and just actually be more relaxed. Um, it, it's just been this reminder to me, like, this is going to sound so stupid. Like, the, like, I needed a reminder that like, the way that Jesus talks about living, it's actually the best way to live. And, uh, and so I'm really grateful um, for the chance to come up and share my story and just for the way that God's kind of um, convicted me and, and some of the story, even today of just hearing stories from people in this room that you guys are living it out. None of us are doing it perfect, but we're all on this like journey towards, um, towards leaning more and more into that, into following the teachings of Jesus. What you just shared at the end is the heartbeat of our church. Like we follow Jesus because he actually really knows how to live. Yeah. And so when he tells us to do something or not to do it, he always has our best life you know, right. in mind. It's, it's funny, when um, COVID happened, it was a year ago today, we had our service before the quarantine hit. Then the next week, we were online and recording things, and it was weird. And the, the whole time through this, as things started changing, we had a couple of meetings, and Bradley's our AV guy back there, and, and we were like, man, if we go to church with masks on and we gather, like that's going to be weird. And he goes, well, weird church is better than no church, right? <laughs> and, and so, that should be your motto of this whole church forever. Yeah. Just like, be like Come to weird church. <laughs> Regardless of COVID. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you're weird, we're the church for you. <laughs> we even did have like communion, you know, like we used to have a spread, the bread and this and that. And because of all that, we have the little disposable communion yeah. thing, you know. It was like, weird communion's better than no communion, That's right. right? I love it. But during the whole COVID thing, um, like we have a really cool view in our driveway of the foothills in a park. And so we barbecue out front a lot. And, and during COVID, you, exactly, people were walking up and down the street, got beers in their hands yeah. or whatever. A little, they didn't care. They were just trying to get out of the house. And we met neighbors. And um, I, one of our neighbors I, I met, and we... We wrote down their names and did all had all this in mind. And um, the not too long ago, she was getting her mail, and I said, "How you doing?" And she said, "Oh, I'm great." And she began to tell me, you know, she she got her vaccine and and her uh, her political stance that yeah. she was stoked about what was going on politically. And I was just I, I said, you know what? We're both believers. She's, she's a believer. I said, yeah. we're both believers, and if we don't agree ideologically, who cares? Why don't we show the world 
if we disagree on something, what it looks like to get along for Jesus' sake, yeah. not, not any, any. She was like, let's do that. So every day I stop in, we talk, and she tells me her stuff, and I try to be a good neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I bite my tongue. No, I'm kidding. The key, and, and, no, and I have, a, I have a friend like that, one of my neighbors, too. The key is, if we can just get to a place, I, I gave up trying to think it was my job to get him to think like me on politics, or, you know, like any of that stuff. So, and that's within the most freeing thing, is like we have totally different views, and he's not trying to convert me to his way of thinking, and I'm not trying to convert him. We're, we've been, remained friends through all of that. Um, and I think too often, it's really easy for us as believers to think on everything. We've got to get everybody to think exactly like I do on this or that. Um, and giving some of that up, I think, creates space for some real genuine friendships. And then the irony is that then you end up sharing the, th- the reasons why you believe things and, and the things that you believe. So uh, I love what you're modeling. I think that's really cool. Well, thank you, Dave, man. What a good word. It's great um, to be here. I want to, yeah, thank you. Yep. Um, before we, we leave, I want to pray. And um, if you have prayer requests where you want someone to agree with you, we'll make our way up here uh, to have some people pray with you. If you have questions about Jesus, church, anything, you can ask people that are going to be up here, our leadership team. and But uh, Father, you're the best. You're the best. You gave your very best when you gave us your son. And now we are in the relationship that you and your son have. And I just am stunned by that and thankful. And I pray that would warm all of our hearts today and keep our minds focused And God, give us an awareness of what's going on around us in our neighbors. Give us just that spiritual antenna, emotional intelligence to just truly be loving in every way, God. And to participate in your life and what you're doing in the world, Lord. We know you don't need us, but you've invited us to participate with you. And we get blessed from it. So God, I pray for every need in this room, every need of somebody watching online, God, that uh, you meet all of our deepest needs in your son. I pray for healing physically for those who need it. I pray for relational healing for those who need it. God, I have financial breakthroughs, people who don't have jobs to, to find favor and, and, and find the job that they need. God, just those practical things that, that, that are going on in our everyday life, Lord. They're going on and that's going on in other people's lives. We want to be able to be there for each other and model what you did, Lord Jesus, through your life and then the 12 and then beyond. Thank you for your goodness. In your name I pray. Amen.